0: dang it's been a month oh my god yeah hello and welcome to hidden among us i'm your host chris and this is honda and welcome to episode 72 it has been a month (laughs) Um, I am still lispy and I don't think anything else has changed so I'm still
1: same old same old
0: same old same old but lispier now I had to give like two (laughs) three presentations in the past two weeks and I just I was so aware of how lispy I was and sometimes I would say something and people would ask me to like clarify what I was saying oh my because God. of all lispy. I know, I felt so bad. But at the same time, I'm like, I can't help it, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess it,
1: it wouldn't be so obvious since your classes are online. So it would be obvious that you have braces.
0: Right. Do we need to talk about the hottest things happening in Singapore right now? Okay. So the first one, the New York Times Singapore chicken curry oh my god oh my <laughs> god oh, do you have who is that on person
1: is she, is she singaporean
0: no, right? <laughs> no, no no i don't think so i think she like found the recipe um i don't know okay listen i didn't watch the video because i don't think i could emotionally bear the pain of looking i like didn't watch it either
1: thing. i already saw like five seconds of it like nope.
0: oh my god but the chicken girl that chicken looked raw I am so sorry I think I think somebody said That she said to cook it For like 15 to 20 minutes It's too quick Who cooks chicken For 15 <laughs> minutes First of all Isn't curry
1: supposed to be Like way longer
0: Way longer Sometimes it takes like Half an hour To almost an hour There was this other person Who said that Like that particular piece That she was and cooking they, uh... Takes about 90 minutes To cook I was shocked Second of all, that looked so watery and watery. bland. Spiceless. Like, and sp- oh. <laughs> When I say it looked like the soup you make when somebody's sick. You know the pepper soup where it's just pepper and salt and maybe some chicken broth and you give it to somebody who's like all clogged up. It looked like that. It was so sad. And... Undeniably, Singaporeans are all up in arms about it. The second big thing happening in Singapore is our girls go to army. <laughs> I haven't even looked
1: into it yet, but apparently, like the sale, the ticket sales have been not bad.
0: Yeah, but I genuinely believe that people are going to watch it because they want to make fun of it. They're not watching it because like they think it's a good film or enjoyable film. They're watching it because Nobody thinks it's a good film.
1: If I'm not wrong, is there a trans woman? I have no the idea. Cast? The cast... I, there's, there's this TikTok person, but I always see her on TikTok, and mm-hmm. she's one of the cast. I think she's a trans woman, and she's on the cast.
0: Oh, I don't know. I don't think Jack Neo understands the nuances of like women in the army for the like actual just women in the army fun. would be... Yeah, you know, the other so thing offended. that I find hilarious, right, is Mindev came out and they were like, if you really want to know about women and their experiences <sighs> in the army, watch our documentary. And I thought... Listen, I thought that was the best shady comeback or like... Not even comeback, like... What's the word for it? I think that was just the best way for them to like state their stance on this movie they literally Mm. came out they were like don't waste your time on this shit watch our documentary instead
1: i feel actual women serving army would be so offended
0: it is and like i don't know the thing is like the the idea of gender like men and women in the army in singapore is a very politicized and emotional matter
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: on one hand It's like You know the whole argument About oh If you really want Gender equality in football, <laughs> Like women just, You know be, Join the NS Or whatever and, mm, it's, it's a stupid argument But also like You can understand wh- Where they're coming from Right But I feel like I don't know They always
1: Make the argument Against like Women mm-hmm. Who has no say In this matter think... Why Why aren't you like Attacking the government For that Like you Like you get angry At like woman like here like it's not gonna <laughs> solve anything
0: that's true also oh. it's like the, the the weakest argument you could ever make any person of any gender identity in the army because not everyone is treated well there or accepted mm-hmm. it's like a whole, highly politicized issue and then like jack New thinks hmm don't you think it would be kind of funny to make a film about women in the army but i'm also going to make all these characters stereotypes
1: have you seen the one about she's like the character she's like larger
0: yeah size she's character
1: and then her name is yuan which is round in yes. chinese i'm just like what the fuck okay
0: <laughs> Okay, so I have thoughts on that. Okay. Also, the reason why I just called her fat is because I feel like we should normalize fat as a body type and dissociate, I mean, defamiliarize ourselves from fat being a negative connotation. So I'll just be calling her fat because there's nothing wrong in being fat. Hell, I'm fat. You know, <laughs> we should take pride in that. But um I think there was this argument that was like, why would uh a fat actress take up this role when it's just a stereotype, right? And I saw this very interesting comment that was like, sometimes you have to take up these stereotypical and often derogatory roles because these are the only roles that are offered to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's reset because I mean, that explains like the media industry, the acting industry like pretty well. But that's the same thing, right? Like, why would you write a role like this? And then I think Jack Neal came out to say that it wasn't to make fun of her being fat, but it's... so Her name is
1: literally Yuan.
0: Precisely. (laughs) Oh my God. This is why we don't... We should never allow men to write narratives about women.
1: I feel like... I think... I wonder what 50% of the dialogue is and even is...
0: I bet it's about being hungry and food and that kind of shit. It's so. Stupid. Oh, like isn't
1: like the like the woman in general. You know, like there's whole there's a whole test to see how like what's that called? It's not feminist, the but like
0: test, is it? Yeah,
1: the backdoor test. Um, I wonder like what the women even talk to each other about in the movie. I feel like it's gonna be about other men. Yeah. Then they will fail the backdoor test.
0: Ugh. Uh wait, let's recap the Bechdel test. Bechdel test is one. There should be more than one woman in the film, right?
1: Yeah, and then they talk to each other.
0: Yeah, they have to talk to each other. And I think their conversations with each other cannot be about
1: men. They yes. have to be about other things. I mean, it's also a very flimsy test, but I feel like I don't know, I don't even know if 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 like that film, if this film would even <laughs> pass that test. <laughs>
0: because they're all stereotypes we uh we all saw the casting call right and everyone's just a stereotype of a stereotype so i don't know
1: um, I mean, do you see there was this song or something
0: i know We don't talk about it you sent me that video and made me watch it and i will never forgive you for that
1: i didn't even watch the full thing i was just laughing oh
0: uh, yeah i didn't watch the full thing either because you I was like, "This is so dumb! Like, why are you making girls do this? You would never make male characters. You'll never get the cast for Our Boys to Men to do this." So,
1: do you watch Our Boys to Men? I did not. Oh okay, I watched this the last weekend.
0: Do you want to ask me why I didn't watch the film? Why? Because there was this casting controversy. Oh okay. Indian guy went for. To, to audition for The role Was it, it for the guys. first
1: film already? Or is it the second? The concert con- I can't remember ones.
0: But after this incident happened I was like I'm not going to support Any of Jack News films So anyway So the Indian guy goes in The actor Goes in And he's like He does his role He does his audition and Everything And then they ask him Can you be more Indian? Can you do An Indian accent? Yeah and, I remember And uh, Yeah After hearing that I was like I am never going to watch any of the Our Boys to Men films. And sorry to Jack Neil, but I'm not going to support any of his films either. So.
1: Yeah. I think the first film was like quite a while back, really.
0: The first one was very successful. It brought it, in was, like it was. $3 million. Like Mindev literally was like, hey, Jack Neil, let's help you with you're filming so they like supplied not supplied him they sort of like were involved in like giving props and whatnot all the necessary equipment i
1: didn't watch the concert like the consecutive films i
0: don't know i think it was downhill from there but oh well
1: the cast became so popular after the first film Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. they were everywhere
1: Uh, literally everywhere like i would see some of them walking around skate.
0: Oh yeah, the country. there's this one guy who was like
1: I think extremely
0: popular I don't know who they are, I also don't care about them. <laughs> Sorry to these men Alright, so yes, hello, we're back After a month And with our returning episode This This case is a listener request So thank you Jeffrey For hopping into our DMs and being like Hey guys, can you please Cover this case so this case is like this case has actually been on our radar for quite a while. I think one of the reasons why we didn't cover it earlier on was because it's a very famous case and I feel like it's been covered like a billion gajillion times, but mm-hmm. we have never given our Hidden Among Us flair while covering it. So I think this is a good time for us to just cover this case. But this is the case of Jennifer Penn. Mm. Well, have you heard of this case I feel like you might have A long time ago No? Okay I think you might hear the details Yeah. I think you would I always remember this case because Jim Can't Swim made like uh, A video about it Covering her interrogation mm. And I remember Watching it and I was like, wow, I love watching interrogation videos. My entire like YouTube recommends page is just a, it's just a whole bunch of interrogation videos and interrogation analysis.
1: I haven't watched those recently.
0: For Jim okay. Can Swim.
1: Okay, I remember.
0: Yes. I For Jim Can Swim, right? Sometimes when I'm feeling like really bored and I have nothing to watch. I will go and rewatch his video on Casey Anthony. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I man, I love that. It was it, it, okay. No mind. Fine. Let's just jump into this story. If not, i will be talking about Jim Kansu and giving oh him God. free promo. That being said, um, he his videos are like constantly being taken down by YouTube because of YouTube's super flimsy and terrible guidelines. is it, it? Is it? Is it
1: is it even that violent?
0: It's not. He doesn't okay. cover any, like... There's no violence in any of his videos. Right? It's just <laughs> interrogation footage. So, I, I mean, I don't understand. Well, anyway. So, yes. Today, we'll be covering the case of Jennifer Penn. So, on November 8th, 2010, at around 11.20pm, a panicked 911 call was made by Jennifer Penn. In the call, Jennifer tells the operator that some people had broken into her house and had stolen all their money. She was also concerned about her parents because she had no idea where they were and that she had heard gunshots. During the call, um, you can hear her father, Han Pan, calling out for help, to which she tells him that she's calling 911 and that she's okay in Vietnamese. Jennifer had been tied upstairs to um, a banister, yes, with shoelaces, while her parents had been downstairs when the robbery had occurred. Three men had entered the house and had demanded for all their money. They ransacked the main bedroom before taking Jennifer's parents down to the basement. Jennifer was left upstairs where she was tied up. Somehow, she managed to loosen her restraints and reach for her phone, which had been in her back pocket. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Jennifer's mother, Big Pen, would not survive the attack. She had been shot twice, once in the head and in the neck, killing her instantly. Her husband, Han, had been shot twice as well, in the shoulder and in the face. He survived the gunshots and was later placed in an induced coma at the hospital. Jennifer would stay by his side for three hours before being asked to go down to the police station to give her witness statement. So, now we're just going to dive into a bit. A backstory for Jennifer. So who is Jennifer Penn? Jennifer Penn was born on June 17th, 1986. So I believe she'll be about 35 this year. She's
1: quite She's young. So young.
0: She's really young. So she was born on June 17, 1986 to Han and Big Penn. Her father Han had moved to Canada as a political refugee from Vietnam in 1979. Later, he would meet who also moved as a political refugee and the two would get married in Toronto and live in Scarborough. The Pans would have two children, Jennifer and Felix. So coming to Canada as refugees meant that, I mean, if you're talking about socioeconomic status, not very high. So they were not very wealthy and therefore they had to work very hard in order to provide a good life for their children. So Han and Bick worked at Magna International, which is an auto parts manufacturer. Han was, um, Han was a tool and die maker while Bick made car parts. They were both incredibly thrifty and eventually in 2004, were able to buy a large house. So I think it had a big enough garage to hold two cars. Mm. To be very honest... Canadian and American houses are just like super big in comparison to what we would consider big in Singapore. Because and the their price prices of, is way yeah, lower
1: for that size.
0: Precisely. <laughs> so anyway, they they managed to buy their own house and like it's so interesting because um, Han Pen would own like a Lexus and Big Pen would own a Mercedes. And I was like, dang! Like these two worked very 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 hard. So they were mm. able to, like, afford this living situation in Markham. That being said, the next parts of ch- Jennifer's childhood is um something that doesn't really come as a surprise when we take into consideration her parents' background. So Jennifer's parents undeniably expected a lot from their children.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, at four years old, Jennifer was learning how to play the piano and even took up figure skating. wow i know it's just the most typical asian parent thing i mean Hannah, would do you have to learn any musical instrument or anything
1: i mean not musical instrument but i did like sport stuff i did ballet and i did i did ushu
0: you did ballet
1: I did ballet when I was super small, cause my mom wanted to see me in a tutu. And then after that, I was like, I hate this. This is too girly for me. Then I went to do shoot, like martial arts.
0: Oh my god! Okay, no. When I said you did ballet like that, it's because like I feel like that is the most like every young child, like young girl, this these days are sent for ballet classes. And I think maybe it's under the same psychology of every like parent wanting to see their the their kids in tutus. Do you go do look very cute? No, I did not, but oh. I, I was sent for piano lessons and then I hated piano and then I went for violin lessons <laughs> and, and then I hated the violin and the only instrument I stuck to was the guitar. <laughs> so, yeah, but um, I was sent for a lot of those, you know, enrichment classes and uh-huh. those kind of boot camps. So, you know, if everyone is wondering what it feels like living in an Asian household, it's this. <laughs> Sent for all these unnecessary classes in like the hopes for excellence. The thing with Jennifer was that she was actually good at figure skating and she was even, she was even projected to be able to participate in the Winter Olympics. I know, I was like, what kind of talent? How are these people born with talent like this, man? I can't relate to it at all. Um, but unfortunately, her figure skating dreams would be cut short because she would tear her ligament in her knee. Oh. Yeah. This meant she had to now put all of her focus on her academics in order to become like her parents' definition of successful. So Jennifer's high school friend, Karen Ho, will describe Han as a tiger dad. <laughs> also, yes. we literally have a show in Singapore called Tiger Moms, guys. It's just... Ugh. Anyway, so what is a tiger dad? Or more specifically, what is a tiger parent? So essentially, tiger parents are very strict parents with high expectations for their children. So as such, these parents tend to push their children hard, mostly academically, in order to attain excellence. Um, It's a very authoritarian parenting style, and it puts a lot and a lot of pressure on the kids. So in Singapore, right, you will see parents literally sending their kids for everything under the sun, like they'll send them for sports, they'll send them for music, they'll send them to like, random enrichment classes. And like, in Singapore, you would see...
1: Tuition for every subject.
0: (laughs) Tuition for every subject. Yeah. And it's not just like, sending this... Sending their kids to these, like, classes and stuff. They also expect their kids to constantly score straight A's. And it's just, it's very stifling. So, that's essentially what happened. So, most of Jennifer's life was just under very strict rules set by her parents. So they monitored her extracurricular activities. They did not let her date or attend school dances or parties. And they they were like this because they were afraid that she would lose her focus on her academics. Mm. My goodness. Unfortunately, Jennifer was not so academically inclined. So she achieved average grades in high school. And when I say average grades, right, it's not like she was getting C's. She was getting B's. But, and these B's were not good enough for her parents. I would be Today, so happy with B's. <laughs> I'm happy with B's right now, man. If I get an A, I'm just like, wow, surprise. Maritons. Yeah, but for Jennifer Penn's parents, getting B's for every subject, so- was not enough because they expected her to score straight A's Hmm. and because of this she would actually begin to forge her report cards so she would change her grades to A's and yeah so for most of her high school life she started to change her grades and show it to her parents and then eventually she would um she would actually get early admission to Ryerson University. But unfortunately, she would fail calculus. So because of that, they resigned their offer to her. Frightened, Jennifer told her parents and the people around her that she had actually gotten into the university <laughs> in 2004.
1: Mm. And
0: this was her plan. So she would study at Ryerson and then two years later, she would transfer to the University of Toronto. So this was the plan that she told her parents. To keep up the charade, charade 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 right <laughs> facade it's not facade it's for sa- the seed. Not English. <laughs> anyway to give up a charade she would visit cafes she would teach piano or she would work at a restaurant in order to earn some income and also it was to sort of create um a simulation Is simulation the right word but essentially you know you leave the house in the morning as if you're going to school and you come back in the evening. So it's, it, it was just to keep up this front that she was going to school and she was like studying at Ryerson University. And so obviously the um the topic about how she was paying for school fees came up, right? Because like, how are you going to school when there's no billing for it? And she would tell her parents that she, she, she had won a scholarship that was worth $3,000 hmm yeah um and then exactly two years later she would lie to her parents again and say that she got into a pharmacology course at the university of toronto and once again to keep up the rules jennifer would even go the extra mile to purchase textbooks and watch pharmacology videos while taking notes at home to make it seem like she was studying the cause yes I don't know. It just seems very tiring and excessive to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're literally just, I don't know, like living a fake life, you know, keeping up a fake identity. I, know.
0: I feel like it would have been just, just so please. much easier to bite the bullet and just come clean.
1: Yeah, I it mean, you, you, you might not have led to what she had done.
0: Yeah. Well. <sighs> Uh, she would even show her notebooks that she had written with all these fake notes to her parents to quell any suspicions they had. She also sought permission to stay with a close friend. This close friend did not exist. Um, and she told them, she told her parents essentially that she had this friend that was living near the campus, and she asked permission to stay with her so that you know the commute to school would be easier. But in reality, she had no friend that lived near the university and would instead spend the week with her boyfriend, Daniel Chi Kwong Wong. First of all, he has two Wongs in his name. They had met in school and uh, he, he'd actually been her senior in high school. Um, so here's some insight into Daniel Wong. He worked at a Boston pizza restaurant. He transferred schools to York University because he wasn't doing well academically. And finally, and perhaps the most um, prominent thing about him was he was a drug dealer. (laughs) Yeah. So he sold the devil's lettuce, aka marijuana. Lettuce. So as I mentioned before, the two of them met in high school and he was her senior. And... At one point, he would actually transfer out of the school because he was caught by police for possessing marijuana. So for nearly a decade, um, Jennifer got away with lying about her school situation. She had forged transcripts and letters to prove to her parents that she was actually at university when she was not. But eventually, she was to graduate in 2008, and when her parents asked about her graduation ceremony, she told them that the school only gave out one ticket and that she had given it to her friend.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And this is where her lies began to unravel. Uh, But also a side note, it's really exhausting lying about your academic career. Mm -hmm. She was doing it for so many years. As a new graduate, uh, Jennifer told her parents that she was working as a volunteer at the hospital for sick kids interesting name for hospital and so every day she would go to the hospital and then she would return home but her parents began to suspect that something wasn't right
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh firstly she did not have a uniform and secondly <laughs> she did not have a hospital id badge uh, so for the yeah. uniform situation i can sort of understand like some People prefer to leave their uniforms or whatnot in the lockers at the hospital, like where they work at. You yeah. don't want to like commute in it.
1: I'm watching Grey's Anatomy, and they go home in their normal clothes.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the thing that was iffy is she didn't have a badge, and you can't mm. say, "Oh, I left my badge at work," because how Every are you going to get in? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's what made it iffy, like. Her parents. So, on one of the days when she left for work, Big trailed after her, and she would later find out that her daughter had been lying to her for years. Jennifer had to come clean and finally revealed that she hadn't even graduated from high school and that she had a boyfriend who she'd been dating for almost eight years. Furious, Han wanted to throw her out, but his wife convinced him to calm down and let her stay. Han gave her two options. So the first option was she could continue her high school education, but under a strict schedule. Um, So she was not allowed to go out and meet Daniel and she had to, you know, focus solely on her studies. She could only go out um, to work as a piano teacher. So that was the first option. The second option was that she could do whatever she wanted, but she would be disowned and she'll be kicked out. Hmm. Okay. so Jennifer decided to go with the first option and focus on her studies so for the next two years she would slowly regain her parents's trust and even her phone privileges but with being allowed a phone she eventually reconnected with Daniel and the two would communicate in secret so hmm. this one of the story is like kind of whack but it's a very interesting tidbit and I think it gives you some insight into jennifer's psychology i guess so essentially she's not allowed to meet daniel right but she's still communicating uh with him in secret and daniel got really tired of this because he had to constantly you know do things covertly and like meet in secret and whatnot So he was like, you know what, Jennifer, I'm done with this. And the two eventually broke up. And Daniel would go on to date another girl. Jennifer would tell Daniel that um, a man had entered her house with a police badge. And then several other men had come in and then they gang raped her. Mm. And then she would go on to tell Daniel that she received a bullet in the mail, and that it had been sent by his girlfriend.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Eventually, Daniel will get back together with Jennifer, and you can find their text messages online, and they are extremely cringy. They speak in like baby talk to each other. It's yeah. the cringiest thing ever. Uh, but now that they were in contact again, Daniel gave her a spare phone so that they could you know, communicate in secret. The both of them would come up with a plan to hire a hitman for $10,000 to kill her parents. She claimed that she would receive a $500,000 inheritance and that after it was all done, she and Daniel could move in together. Daniel would get her in contact with homeboying aka lanford roy crawford he then gave jennifer an iphone and sim card to contact him with after this crawford contacted eric sean sniper carty who then contacted david milvat (laughs) crying this is an indian name and i just okay guys i can pronounce indian names (laughs) Okay, mm-hmm. so Eric, Sean, Sniper, Cathy then contacted David Milvagnum.
1: <laughs> the way you stumbled that first time. <gasps>
0: oh my god, my brain like short-circuited <laughs> for a while. I'm sorry. Um, So this guy's name is Milvagnum, right? But Vagnum in Tamil means... I think it means like car. That's all I could think about when I was like... Typing out his name. Okay, anyway, that's not a point here. But this situation is literally the definition of I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean the 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 group was all made. The group was made. The the three came together. What do we call them? Anyway, yeah, anyway, so the group the group came together. And together the plan was made. So Jennifer would leave the front door open and then the three men would break into the house under the guise of a robbery and then would kill Jennifer's parents. But they didn't account for Han's survival. Mm-hmm. Because Han Pen survive the attack. And this is where um, we go back to the beginning of the story where I said Jennifer called 911. At the police station being interviewed, Jennifer came across as a traumatized victim. It's actually very, very interesting to watch her um, interrogation footage. So the one that um, Jerry sent us, and also it's the one that I watched a while back, it's the Jim Can't Swim one. And I will describe this video in three phases. So the first phase was her very first interview followed by her second interview and then the third interview where everything sort of unravels, right? And the first interview, which is, um, I think it was, it is was usually right after the incident, you can see that she is somewhat traumatized. Like, the way her body, like, her, the way her body reacts seems very genuine. So, mm-hmm. even the investigator sort of believed what she was saying. Mm. It's very fascinating because oftentimes what you say sometimes doesn't correlate with your body. Like, your body language tends to reveal the truth. And if you watch this, the, the tape of, like, the first investigation, she really seems very genuine, like, genuinely traumatized. Yeah, I remember watching it, yeah. It's very fascinating. Oh my goodness. So she would tear up when she talked about her mother and, like... <laughs> At one point, I think the door opens and it makes a very loud sound and she actually flinches. And these are things that I don't think any actor can just pull it off so naturally in a setting like this. Yeah, so there's really nothing about her that indicates that she could have ordered a hit on her parents. And so this is the story that she told um the detective. So at 9.30am on the day of um, the attack, Her mother had gone to visit her grandfather in the morning. So after which, Jennifer spent her day practicing the piano, studying piano history and talking Mm. to her friends on the phone. Then in the evening, she had dinner with her parents. At 8pm, her mother left for lion dancing and then returned at 9.30pm. Jennifer had then been in her room watching TV and was about to go to sleep. She then heard her mother call for her father to come downstairs to which Jennifer lowered the TV's volume. She could hear several unfamiliar voices that scared her. She picked out of her room and saw a man who came at her with a piece of string in his hands. He tied her hands behind her back and, and said that he was pointing a gun at her. And he essentially said, you need to do what I tell you to do. He then asked to know where the money was. Jennifer would then say that her mother tried getting up and the assailant would push her down on the chair. Since her English wasn't good, she kept saying purse. At this point in the interview, Jennifer, that she comes across as very distraught. She like starts to cry, and like as I mentioned before, like her body language really didn't appear to be out of the ordinary for someone traumatized after you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: getting robbed at gunpoint and you know, your mother passing away and your dad almost dying. Uh, Jennifer tells the detective that the assailants turned off all the lights and that the only light source was when they opened the fridges door so that they could have light to find her mother's purse. So Jim Katswin actually brings up a really good point during this time. So um, I'll just summarize what he said, but he said that essentially a traumatized person, a traumatized mind, would not be able to recollect all these details like in such a detailed and concise manner. So yeah. when Jennifer mentions details like the fridge door, you know, it's it's too specific and possibly untrue. But at the same time, I would like to problematize this statement um (laughs) because recently i came across this thing i was talking about how there are multiple reactions to stressful situations so the most common ones you know is fight or flight right but there's more now there's fight flight fawn and there's also this thing called fixation so some people during moments of extreme stress will fixate so they can hyper focus in on the situation. Mm. But this is also a stress response. So I'm like, mm, maybe it's possible that she could have recollected all these things, you know, And she
1: was also speaking very coherently, right like in full sentences.
0: Yeah, so there's a thing that problematizes my problematization, right? It's because yeah. it wasn't just the because I'm talking about hyperfixating on like the events happening, but the thing is, she was able to explain the things in a very clear, concise manner.
1: I think like these kind of officers and even like nine one one operators, right? They are already trained on the basis that the people that they're listening to can't explain the situation well. Cause mm. they aren't trained to be, to be focused on a stre- in a stressful situation. So, they are trained to extract that information needed to have a full story.
0: Yes, and that's why you have questions, and that is why they need to interview her. Mm. Right, because if not, then just you know <laughs> the officer probably thing.
1: the officer like interrogating Jennifer Pan is like, wow, she's like. I don't need to do that much work yeah, so I,
0: <laughs> like, It's
1: such a full story
0: He's just like Ticking all the boxes Like I'm done <laughs> Let's call it a day This was like an open and shut clay, uh, case Uh, But the other thing That I found very interesting Was she actually refers to The salon as gentleman. Oh
1: my god <laughs> I
0: don't think in any state I would refer to An attacker as a gentleman
1: Chris What, what men do you call gentlemen?
0: <laughs> right. I've never heard you say gentleman referring to a guy before. No, but so that's the thing, right? Nobody <laughs> uses the term gentleman unless it's like ladies and gentlemen in that context. Like also, keep in mind, she's like in her 20s. There's no reason for her to be using the term gentleman at all. I mean, in some, I think,
1: other English-speaking countries, that's more in their lingo. But yeah, that's weird to say her assailants are gentlemen. But I know it's definitely not in your lingo to say <laughs> it's not in
0: my gentlemen. Language. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, but okay, so she refers to them as gentlemen. But perhaps the bigger question was, why was Jennifer separated from her parents? Because, you know, if this was a robbery... What is the point in separating the people in the house? Wouldn't you want to keep them all together so you can yeah. rob the place and then leave? And that's the other thing, right? If you're coming to rob, most robbers don't kill people. Like, they're there to take the money and then leave. Mm. And, like, I guess in situations where they end up leaving, like end up killing somebody, is maybe that person attacked them, like, got in their way, or they yeah. wanted to get rid of evidence or whatnot. Right? But then if they wanted to get... Like, if they wanted to stop them from, like, possibly identifying them or calling the police on them, then there's no reason to keep one person alive. So it doesn't make sense that they attempted to kill the parents and leave Jennifer alive. Yeah, true. Yeah, so... um, This is where the investigator was also like hmm, maybe things aren't as they seem Mm -hmm. um jennifer would also tell the investigator that the assailant he charged was a black man with floppy dreadlocks (laughs) and like the investigator will ask like could you see his face or anything was it covered and she was like yeah i couldn't see his face because it was dark and you know it was covered but she was very certain it was a black man and she was also very certain that the other two assailants were black men too. Mm, Okay. I'm like, why? Do you just not want to be redeemed? Anyway. During her second interview, um, and honestly, this is the part that I remember most from this interrogation was... uh, The investigator essentially asked her how she was able to, you know, get the phone out to call 911. And Mm. she was actually able to demonstrate how, while she was restrained, how she could actually slip the phone out from her back pocket. And when the interrogator was like, okay, so were you angling the phone from a low point and speaking up through speakerphone? And she was like, yeah, that's what I did. And then he asked, how could you hear the 911 operator? And she was like, okay, I just put the volume on max. Mm -hmm. It was so interesting because it's like, I think at that moment, it was one of those things where you expect to catch her in a lie, but she was able to demonstrate that she could do it. Then the detective tells her that he found it very suspicious that she didn't hear a doorbell ring or... She didn't hear anyone kick in the door. And to this, she was like, you know, I was watching television. I couldn't hear. But her story wasn't really making sense because before she said that she heard her mother call her father down and she could hear unfamiliar voices. Mm. Yeah. Um. So the detective just basically tells her, like, he finds it suspicious that she didn't hear anything. And then he also tells her... He asks her, literally, like, point blank, did you have anything to do with this? Um. And during the time of the second interview, Jennifer's father was still in a coma because he actually had bullet fragments in his face and the police... I know the police. The doctors were unable to remove the fragments. And... um it was it's it's just really sad because the doctors are saying that even if he were to wake up from the coma um there's a very high possibility that he is that he would be he would suffer from brain damage
1: mm-hmm. and
0: because of that he might not be able to provide a witness testimony uh, it's it's just so sad,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, but at this point, really, the police were suspecting foul play and they actually assigned a surveillance detail to monitor Jennifer. The surveillance detail actually followed Jennifer to the mother's funeral and then they would say that she was very like, stone-faced. She would look down on the ground constantly. And I guess maybe that's the way she grieves. You can't really use that as evidence and say that, oh, she, was, she had no remorse or whatnot.
1: Unless they read it as like a guilt thing. I don't know.
0: Yeah, but I don't know if it would stand in court, though.
1: Yeah, no, it what.
0: Yeah. A day before Big's funeral, Han Pen had actually awoken from his coma. And this is where things began to unravel. Um, Han Pen actually did have brain damage, but he could recall in detail what happened on the night of the attack. So on November 16th, he gave a secret testimony to the police stating several contradictions to Jennifer's story. He told the police that Jennifer had not been tied up as she had led investigators to believe, but had been walking around and talking casually to the intruders. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, he even said that she was... I talking to them in a very friendly manner, Han even spoke to Jennifer over the phone, but was told to pretend that he could not remember what happened, and to ask her if Daniel had been behind the attack. To which Jennifer said that she was certain that he wasn't involved. But there was another problem, so Han's testimony could actually be thrown out because he suffered minor brain 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 damage. Mm-hmm. On twenty second November. Jennifer would Jennifer come back for her third and final interview. This time, instead of being read her rights as a witness, she is read her right to silence. And this time, the detective, um, I think they assigned another detective. He's this very, very experienced guy. Um, the detective said that, he actually had this computer software that could analyse lies and that it could track movements with infrared technology. And uh, these are all lies, of course, but Canadian law actually allows officers to lie to get, you know, a confession Mm -hmm. out of the suspect. But the thing is, like, this interview felt very intimate in the sense where the investigator was like asking her about her childhood and her life and she would talk about um the difficulties like her mental health growing up because of the pressure that her parents placed upon her and she would even say things like daniel was the only thing that would ground her it felt just you you listen to her and you can kind of understand you feel for her but at the same time you cannot get over the fact that she she literally ordered a kid on her parents to kill them.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so after the detective told her that he has computer software that could analyze her lies, <laughs> um, Jennifer would reveal the truth and would name the three assailants involved. So she would name Milvagnum, Kati, Wong, and Crawford. Who were all eventually arrested. Um, she actually didn't name uh Daniel. Sorry, I called him Wong here, but she actually mm-hmm. didn't name Daniel, but he was arrested still because of you know his association with her. The trial began on March 19th, 2014, and they all of them, this group, pled not guilty. the charges of first-degree murder, attempted murder, and conspiracy to commit murder. Over 100 text messages between Daniel and Jennifer will be used as evidence, as these messages had been transmitted six hours before the killing. Furthermore, Han's testimony was used to contradict Jennifer's. Eventually, on December 13, 2014, Jennifer, Daniel, Milvagnum, and Crawford were convicted and were given life sentences with no possibility of parole for 25 years. Cathy would receive an 18-year sentence for conspiracy to murder with eligibility for parole in nine years. Man, okay, this part is like really sad. So Han Pan and and Jennifer's brother Felix will get a court order banning Jennifer from contacting them or any members of her surviving family. And Jennifer was also banned from contacting Daniel Wong. Han Mm -hmm. would write When I lost my wife, I lost my daughter at the same time. I don't feel like I have family anymore. Some say I should be lucky to be alive, but I feel like I am dead too. Han is unable to work because of his injuries and suffers from anxiety attacks and nightmares. He's also in constant pain. Uh, he eventually moved out of the house and now lives with relatives he attempted to sell the house but no one wanted to buy it as a Felix, Jennifer's brother he moved to the the east coast to avoid any association with his sister he suffers from from depression and is closed off Mm. so this is the sad and tragic story of the pens, I guess. So, yeah. This is the story of Jennifer Pan.
1: also get this case is actually kind of recent.
0: <laughs> it is. It's very recent.
1: Yeah, I always thought it was like, like early 2000s, but it's not.
0: <laughs> I mean, it kind of is early 2000s, but if you look at it from when everything was starting to skyrocket, but like True. when it actually happened, it was... It's just... How many years has it been about... Ten years less
1: than that, yeah, yeah, in this case, yeah the I've watched the 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 interrogation ones, and it's like quite interesting, I think I was also very interested in the the officer, like you know how he could really unravel everything,
0: yeah, um, mm-hmm. I think he used this very interesting method where he i think it's called the who and what method. But he would ask a question and then he... He sort of became like a therapist for her. But it was to like let her lower her guard. It was very yeah, interesting.
1: Establish like a rapport. Yeah. It's
0: like you, you would think
1: these are normal questions, right? But he really is trying to get at something. And it's like quite mm. amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Any thoughts? I just... I kind of feel for both parties. On one hand, like, tiger parenting is so harmful and toxic. So I I think I can understand why Jennifer felt so pressured. I can't understand why she would go to the point where she wanted to kill her parents, though, um, because, yeah, that's a bit extreme. But it's true that tiger parenting is inherently harmful to the child, especially in the long run. But at the same time, it's like... She destroyed her entire family.
1: And her own future.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, actually, uh, I think it reports, there's some reports to say that as her mother was dying, she was saying, my daughter, my daughter. And it's so sad mm. because, like, on her <laughs> mind, you know, her main priority was protecting her daughter the whole time. And, it was actually her daughter who orchestrated the whole thing
1: yeah
0: it's it's just very sad uh yeah but unfortunately even until today like tiger parenting is still just a very common phenomenon especially in Singapore and
1: and I guess those who have tiger parents they like really feel like they don't have an out you know an escape.
0: Yeah. But the thing and is you like... you bottle up everything. It's getting... I mean, in Singapore, we, we call it literally a pressure cooker environment, right? And it's not getting any easier. Mm. Like, to become the definition of successful, it, it's so... It's so tough, like, the environment. So parents feel like the only way to ensure their children become successful is to push them and as I said like the current situation it's just not making the situation any easier for for the kids
1: I mean during our time when we were younger it was quite still very academic focus, but now like
0: yeah.
1: it's less there's less test there's less academic focus and then they they have to like push up their other skills or like they have to take up other things to yeah. like so it's like in, they have to do other things other than being good at studies to like prove their worth to get into certain places, you know.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if that makes it worse or like slightly better. But now it's like you don't have to worry just about your studies. I you have to worry about all these other aspects. I mean, if of they like,
1: life. if they like what they do other than studies, then that's like the best. But you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, is usually
1: not the case. Where it's they, usually not the know. case. Yeah.
0: And parents will put their kids into like causes and stuff that would benefit them in the long run, not because they enjoy it.
1: Robotics.
0: To robotics, even like music.
1: Like Belly, mall... for
0: example. Like so, oh. kids Belly. ballet is like fun and cute, but like once you get serious about it, then it becomes very tough.
1: I feel like not a lot of people here like really put through their kids through the no, serious part of ballet. Yeah, it's more do. like an enrichment thing. Yeah. Because like serious power ballet really costs a lot of money.
0: I think I knew one girl from my secondary school who like actually does like ballet properly. Yeah, it's quite niche in Singapore. Yeah, Yeah, it's very niche. It's very very niche. Mm. Yeah, but other things like gymnastics, sports, especially. uh, It's just very cutthroat. And no matter how much we try to break out of the mold that academics equals success it's still very difficult to get over that mindset and it's not like yeah it's not
1: like you can really focus your mind into just your sport or art right because in in singapore they'll be like oh you're gonna go nowhere with that
0: yes and then the day like like, academics still plays uh, the most important role Mm. because if you cannot pass your psle you cannot pass your n levels your o levels your a levels your poly examinations you can't get anywhere
1: yeah because like nurturing stuff. athletes or like artists here is not the main priority it's not so there's really very limited like avenues for you to be successful as an athlete or as an artist yeah i think artists is like a bit better now but still you know you you aren't really that free in terms of artistic freedom
0: yeah it's just oh man i wish we had like a happier note to end off this story but unfortunately it's just this i guess we have to break out of the generational cycle you know yeah we now that we know that these are the problems i guess we have to do better
1: Kind of hard though, because if we have kids, then we have to put them through the same system.
0: Yeah, even if we don't want to, right? The system... Yeah. Man, it's all messed up. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, please rate us 5 stars on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and click that follow button on Spotify.
1: You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and whatever podcast platform you listen to.
0: And you can follow us on Instagram at KJU Podcast. Share us a message or send us a story if you'd like. You can also email us at hiddenamongustree at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.